Move Against Cancer podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma Hillier Moses, Move Charity founder, lover of all things running, travel, and tea. Fascinating and lonely. There's so much behind every individual cancer journey, and so much of it is unseen and often unspoken. We want to explore the ways that our guests navigate their way through the unimaginable. And we hope that by doing this, we can provide you with some tips, some tools and some inspiration to make your journey that little bit easier. We'll cover every aspect of living with and after cancer, from physical and psychological well-being, identity, goal setting, mindset, staying active, grief and loss, family and friends, and so much more. We will make you laugh, but we also may make you cry. But we guarantee that you'll take something away from every single episode. So we do really hope that you enjoy listening. Hello, welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast. We're here for the next episode. Um, My name is Georgie Freeman. I'm the 5K Your Way operational manager, and I'll be your host for today. this episode is all about talking positive mental attitude and coping strategies with Jade, Ashley and Sophie. These three young people are absolutely incredible and all three of them have been through the Move Online program and now um, Jade and Sophie have actually come back and been through the program and now come back and actually work for Move Charity Um, and they're both awesome and we're so lucky to have them on board and also Ashley is coming on board as a 5k away ambassador at a new group launching in September in Erdig near Wrexham so super excited for that as well thank you Ashley so that just goes to show how much they wanted to give back to move charity so huge thank you to the three of them for coming on the podcast we had an awesome chat and i really do hope that you're going to take as much away from it as i did um so we discussed a lot about focusing on the present we had a great quote that um it's actually from kung fu panda anyone that hasn't heard it yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery but today is a gift that is why they call it the present so we talked about that quote afterwards and wanted to share it. I wanted to share it in the intro so that you get a taster of what we're going to talk about. And also, hopefully the strategies that Sophie, Jade and Ashley learned during treatment. Maybe some of you will be able to resonate with them. Maybe some of you will, you know, have done things slightly differently. Or maybe, you know, you, you might not have had cancer yourself and you might be a family member or, or a healthcare professional and everyone will have their own challenges in life. And so I think even whatever you're going through, you'll be able to take something from what the three of them say. They're all awesome, awesome people. And it was honestly an honor to speak to them all. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. We've got three amazing guests here today, Sophie, Jade and Ashley. Thanks so much for taking the time to join everyone. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Fab. So to start with, Obviously, we want to kind of try and focus this episode on mental health and mental well-being and how that links to cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. But to start with, I want to kind of ask a bit of a fun question, and I'm stealing this from Gemma's podcast because I think it's a great (laughs) opening to the episode. I think Jade might know what it is. Um, Sophie, I know you've been on a few already, but I don't think anyone has actually asked you this yet. So our kind of aspiration of the podcast when we first started it was to share different ways in which people move against cancer so to kick us off Sophie maybe you want to go first that you guys can think about it in what way what does moving against cancer mean to you and it doesn't have to be specifically in terms of exercise because I know we talk a lot about moving literally against cancer because obviously 
that that is what move is all about but for this podcast I want it to kind of you know answer this question in terms of your life the way you live your life moving against cancer means to you because um if anyone listened to the episode with Crystal her way of moving against cancer was obviously getting into her acting so I don't know if it would be for exercise for any of you and if it is great but if it's not that's really cool so yeah picking on you Sophie um, really good question. Um, I love that. Uh, I would say for me, obviously when I had cancer, I didn't have a dog, but since sort of being in recovery and stuff, I now have a dog and he is like my life and he makes me get out every single day, twice a day. And I say to people now, this is the fittest I've ever been thanks to my dog. And that is honestly my way of moving against cancer because when I'm walking him and particularly when it's quite a long walk, I would have never thought that I would have been able to do anything like that. Even just getting up and having to do it, as I say, at least twice a day on weekends, like bigger walks, things like that. I just thought that would never be me. Um, I wasn't like a couch potato. I enjoyed going for walks, but I never thought that it would be something that would be so embedded in my daily routine. And now it is. Um, and I just love it having my little companion. Um, so obviously when my partner's at work and things like that, I've got that little companion. He makes me get up from sort of sitting at my desk all day and go in the garden and things like that. And that's, to me, that's movement because I'm not just sat for hours on end. I keep getting up and play a game of fetch or whatever. And so that, that to me is my way of moving against cancer with my little dog <laughs> love it love that thanks Sophie that Gemma always says um sitting less and moving more and however you do it and so I love that mm. your the what moving against cancer means to you is all around your dog and everyone it was Gemma here, so. it was Gemma who yeah. said that to me she was like with this the job that you do working from home do not sit for long periods of time like keep moving and what yeah. better way than, you know, playing fetch in the garden or whatever, you know, it's just, I think that's the best way of doing it, really. Love that. Okay, Jade and Nash, I know you've both got two, but you can't just do Sophie's response. <laughs> well, my, my response would be similar, but quite the opposite in a way. Moving against cancer for me, before I was diagnosed um, with my brain tumour, um, I was always walking my dogs because that was like my job. Mm. Hannah looks after the house, does all the jobs, and I looked after the animals. That was how I used to do it. And it used to be such a, a normal part of my routine that I enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed taking them out and I enjoyed letting them run off free. But then during my diagnosis and treatment and everything else, I was unable to do that. And then it got to a point on treatment where I couldn't even go out and walk at all, let alone with two crazy mm. dogs. And I now have three dogs. So I definitely <laughs> couldn't have, you know, envisioned taking all three of them out while I was on treatment. But my aim when I got in touch with Helen in the beginning, when I started the MOVE program was that my aim was just to be able to walk the dogs again, because it was something I really missed and it was a distraction I wanted to have from my treatment and everything else going on was just being able to go out for half an hour where you can just be with your own thoughts and get away from all the stress of everything else. And I couldn't do that for so long that that was my motivation for wanting to get fit again 
And that's what kept me going was just being able to get to a point where I could walk them again. And now I'm back walking all three of them on my own most days. So that's really what moving against cancer was for me, was trying to get my fitness back up to give the dogs a walk. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, you've cut congratulations you know come so far and now three dogs this is a lot yeah that is a lot of dogs and we're probably gonna have a fourth before we know it so you're gonna end up with like a whole kennel (laughs) yeah we've got four guinea pigs as well they're just out there so if you hear any weaken it's just them because they want their food so cute (laughs) um yeah for me to be honest i could say exactly the same as both of you um when i was on treatment um, Willow my dog who walked in at the beginning she got me out every day even if I didn't feel like it she'd just look at me with those big eyes and you think okay I've got to go out because she you know she really wants her walk um, yeah so that was one for me but the one that's popped in my mind Georgie when you asked that question was I'm, I've always been like a dancer and I haven't been to classes for years and years and years but when I got home after my treatment we literally just used to either put our headphones in or turn the speakers up really loud and just dance around the room and we'd put on disco lights as well just because we couldn't get out or go anywhere because obviously you have no immune system and bits and pieces like that so yeah we literally just used to have discos most nights just dancing around just to have a bit of fun love this yeah so I've never really told anyone that but yeah (laughs) that was a bit yeah that's me really just nice music going in the zone obviously you're moving but it's great for your mind as well so yeah just dancing around the house really jade you have now inspired me to have (laughs) discos every night that is the best thing i've ever heard i love this we could just just end this episode now right everyone get a dog and everyone do some dancing and yeah awesome. just escape from everything love this <laughs> three incredible answers thanks so much for sharing that and thanks to Gemma for I, don't, I actually didn't even ask her I just stole her initial question because I thought it was great um fab so kind of backtracking for all of you um you can kind of all all you know butt in and, and and share your stories would be great because I know Sophie if anyone's listened to a podcast before with you you know you've shared a bit of your background but for anyone that doesn't know as well and and for Jaden Ash it'd be great to hear hear a bit of your background personally and also about your cancer journey if that's all right whoever wants to go first <laughs> yeah I don't mind kicking off I am um, I'll try and keep mine short for anyone who's who has already listened um they've probably heard this story a million times now <laughs> um so <laughs> I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia um, back in 2015 when I was 19 years old. Um, I had two and a half years of treatment um, and successfully completed all of that and remained in remission for nine months following, you know, completing that sort of block of two and a half years. Um, I did then relapse in 2018 and went on to have a stem cell transplant later on that year in the October um, again, thought this was going to be kind of like successful and things like that. But unfortunately, I relapsed for a second time in February 2020. And I was told that I would need something called CAR T cell therapy, which is relatively new on the NHS um, and only for sort of specific patients. So I thankfully uh, fit all the criteria for that in terms of my age, my diagnosis um, and things like that. So I 
travelled up to the Christie in Manchester from my home in Liverpool and I had that during the first lockdown. Um, so I was admitted in May 2020 and um, I was in for three weeks whilst I had this CAR T-cell therapy. Um, thankfully, I've been in remission for over two years now um, and, you know, all my results have been really good. Um, and yeah, I just sort of feel the best I've felt in a long, long time. It was a very long journey for me, um, almost six years of sort of on-off treatment. Um, but now, yeah, feeling really well. Um, and my hospital visits are kind of like very sort of far apart now, only every six months. So it's nice to kind of get my life back. And when a few years ago, my life was completely consumed by hospitals and appointments and things like that. Now I barely even think about it. Um, which is something I kind of never thought I'd be able to say. Um, so yeah, doing really well, really positive. Um, yeah, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's, that's a long awesome. time. You're you're a young person, so six years of treatment yeah. and stuff. That's a big impact, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had long to do time. a lot of growing up. I think in a short bit space of time. So obviously, I was 19 when I was diagnosed, which I still think is incredibly young. Yeah, um, you know, and. I was actually put on a ward, like an adult ward, and I kind of thought uh-huh. maybe it would have been nice for me to be on maybe like a teenage and young adult yeah. unit mm. just to yeah. sort of be away from, you know, the the things that I had to see, which was quite disturbing, yeah. really, when you're on an adult ward, you're just kind of exposed to a lot more, and that kind of forced me to grow up really quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 26 now, which is just crazy to think how much time's passed but yeah. I do like to think that I kind of did make the most of life even when I was on treatment and things like on good days I would try and go out and things like that so although it's people listening are probably thinking oh that you know that's six years of her life nearly seven years mm-hmm. of her life sort of consumed it's still it was kind of my aim to to still make the most mm-hmm. of life despite having and you're, you're still very young 26 I'm 26 yeah. and you know I still yeah. I was speaking to someone today who was 20 and I honestly thought he was the same age as me yeah so I, like, <laughs> age is just exactly how you feel it it really doesn't matter so yeah you've been through all that but you're now set up for life and you know fingers crossed you don't have to worry about any kind of further relapses and you can just enjoy yeah. and make up for whatever time you missed while you were poorly yeah hopefully anyway and yeah I still feel so young I still honestly I'm like 18 still (laughs) which is nice I thought it would have aged like 50 years but (laughs) I think just to button quickly it's important to say that all three of you have obviously you know we are all very young and you've all been through the move online eight-week program so that's kind of how we obviously have brought this all together and and, and it's really interesting talking to people because I'm I'm 28. You know, we're all like and Jade, you're si- similar. Uh, yeah, I'm now 29. So yeah, <laughs> still under 30. We're all still, still good. Under 30, it's, it's so interesting talking to people. You know, around the same age that you know the three of you have obviously been through. Some the, the, the words I just wrote down, Sophie, is get my life back. You know, the way obviously you said, you know, you tried did did try and make the most of it, but you know, you still the impact of it is still in your thought you're still getting your life back um Jade and Ash did you feel in that way at all uh, definitely yeah um so I try going to a bit of my story to... yeah go for it yeah uh, okay um and so I was first diagnosed when I was 25 in 2018 um 
and I had Hodgkin lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. Um, and then I had six months of chemotherapy, a little bit of radiotherapy, um, and was in remission by, I think it was July 2019. Um, and that's the point where I did the program with Helen and Move. Um, but after I had all the treatment and stuff, I was very, very determined to just go straight back to my old life, my pre-cancer life. And I just really wanted to get back to what I was. And I felt looking back now, it wasn't the best thing to do. I didn't give myself enough time to heal and to process everything, just to accept that I am different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something, you know, you have to accept and you can go on to do even better things than I was going to do before. Um, but yeah, unfortunately I, I then relapsed 2021 it's all a blur <laughs> 2021 um and had similar treatment to Sophie I had stem cell transplant um so a bit of treatment locally where I stayed in hospital and then um the transplant and everything up London um which was incredibly tough and I finished that October 2021 um so like end of last year so yeah, still it's still quite fresh, but I'm about ten months post transplant now, and I'm very different to last time. I think I've learned from the first time, just sort of be in the present and just listen to myself and what I need, rather than trying to rush around and you know go back to what I was before when, when I'm the different person. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so that's me. I've had Hodgkin lymphoma twice, um, and I was a primary school teacher. Um, but since having treatment this time round, I've stepped away from teaching and I now actually work with Move Charity um, and Georgie. So I work on the 5K Your Way side of the charity and I'm loving it. <laughs> so and we're loving you. what's going to happen. We're loving having you on the team. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> You're not allowed to leave ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I've had it pretty easy in comparison because my diagnosis and everything was all at the time it felt like a lifetime but in comparison to you guys it was such a short window so um i went to school went to uni got a job worked for a few years was waking way up the corporate ladder as you do yeah. um i worked in manchester i live in north wales so i had like a 13 14 hour day getting there and back and doing the job mm -hmm. i did had a lot of response responsibility so I had a very busy lifestyle and then lockdown kicked in the first one um and I was working at home and I felt like I hit the big time because it was amazing for me because I could spend all my time at home with the dogs work just quieting down because although we were still we did some support for the NHS because we had like um, respiratory equipment and breathing equipment normally it's used for confined spaces but we were able to give it to the NHS given that there was such an emergency for it and obviously some construction sites were still open so we were still supplying to them so there was a need for me to work but it was so quiet compared to what I was used to so mm -hmm. I was living my best life just enjoying being able to be at home and not having the phone ring and I literally every second of the day in emails but during lockdown I just noticed a few weird symptoms mm -hmm. and side effects just slowly starting to creep in and build up it started with my vision I started to get slightly double vision and then it just sort of over the period of say six months more and more things started happening um and the things that like my vision started to get worse and worse but i was still working at home so 
I played a lot of them off and didn't really think too much about it. Sorry, that's just mm. my dogs barking. Um, <laughs> and then things started to get worse and worse. And I, being a typical bloke, just thought, ah, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. You know, I, I, I don't need to go to the doctors because obviously during COVID as well, you didn't really want to go into yeah. hospitals yeah. and doctors if you didn't want, if you didn't have to. So I did try and put it off. But then when I got asked to go, start going back to the office a few days a week, and I was doing that drive again, the worst thing was my vision because the double vision was so bad that cars would look in one lane that weren't in that lane or i it was just a mess i i shouldn't have been driving but i'd been to spec savers and i tried to get glasses and they were just like oh wow your double vision is really bad you know this is really strange Mm. but they referred me to um an ophthalmologist i think they're called like the eye doctor people um but obviously covid so i got a letter that was supposed to be like a a four-week appointment like two months later still not a word called Mm. around wasn't even like on the radar for most people because the whole NHS was under so much stress at that time that you know someone with a bit of dodgy eyesight wasn't a priority obviously Um, but things just kept getting worse and then it got to a point where one night I was just at home after a busy day in work and I just lost all control of the left side of my body and I just couldn't move my hands or my feet and I still was like Nah, I'm fine. I don't need to go to hospital. I, I'm fine. I'm fine. But the next day, I got dragged to A and E by my mum. My girlfriend made my mum come around to drag me. Um, so went to A and E. Spent the day in A and E. And again, COVID. So I was literally there for like eight hours, just sat in a waiting room on my own, doing nothing. So I was, I was angry at that point. I just mm. wanted to go home. So I finally got seen. Luckily, the doctor was like, oh, you know, he checked me over and was like yeah something's seriously not right here you know you definitely should have come in sooner but he was like you need an MRI really and luckily I was able to get one there and then because they had a cancellation or something but even then like even after the MRI and after the doctor had been a bit like whoa okay something's wrong I was still in the mindset of I'm sure it's nothing I'm going to get prescribed a tablet I'm going to go home it'll be fine and then it was only when I was sat in the waiting room after my MRI and a nurse came over and was like oh is anyone waiting with you I was like, yeah, yeah, mom's in the car waiting. She's like, oh, do you want to get her to come in? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm I'm going to be gone soon. Don't worry about me. Um, and then she came out like 10 minutes later. It was like, I think you should get your mom to come in and, and, and sit with you. Do you want to come into this room? So I was like, yeah, whatever. A bit confused. And she took me to her room. And it was just like a tiny little box room with two chairs face each other on a box of tissues in the middle. And at that point, I was like, oh, okay. So it's not right here. Um so yeah fast forward a few days i got told i have a brain tumor um at that time they just said we found a mass and i wasn't allowed to go home and i spent like four days in hospital getting wow. all sorts of drugs and all sorts and then it was literally the space of like a week i went home again a few days later then i went to the walton in liverpool where they told me a bit more about what it was what they'd found they showed me my scans um it, it, it's like the size of a tennis ball just a bit smaller and it's in my brain stem so they couldn't operate they said i had about six months left if i was to just leave it and not do anything so it was all a lot very out of the blue almost mm. and then i started treatment a few weeks after that i had a, a biopsy um because they couldn't remove it but they needed to know what it was and how severe it was so they had they just take a tiny bit but even just that 
procedure on its own they like screw a frame into your skull and obviously they have to go into your brain that knocked me back for like four weeks because uh, i obviously just that tiny little bit of interaction in your brain it was quite severe so that knocked me back and then i started radiotherapy a few weeks after that i did i think six weeks of radiotherapy had a small break and i did 12 months of chemo which i finished in december last year um and then I just have to go back for MRIs now. And thankfully, it, is, it has stayed stable and it is showing signs of shrinking. It's millimeters. We're talking like, I think it was 59 millimeters the first scan. It's now 57. So we're not talking a lot here, but as long as it's going in the right direction, that's all that matters. And then, yeah, I, I literally today went into work for the first time in nearly two years um it's not really proper work it's still only basic stuff it's still a part-time but i am now thankfully at a stage where i feel like i'm ready to start doing something again and and building into a routine again well done it's good for you getting back to work and things like it's not yeah i think even just kind of like for normal people when they've been away for quite a long time from work sort of like women on maternity leave things like that anyone it's kind of nerve-wracking isn't it that first day you yeah. go back it's like oh what's changed is there anyone new is am I going to be yeah. able to be on the ball like I used to be but so yeah really honestly hats off to you for going back and kind Thank of you. you know saying no yeah. I, I want to go back and and get yeah. my life back like well, I mean, yeah. back I, to that point before I I didn't touch of them but during my treatment i did set up a car detailing business as a, a way of trying to get out because i was just so yeah. fed up of sitting in all the time i just wanted to do something a to try and get a bit of money because i was struggling from that side of things um but just i was just fed up of just being in and mm. feeling useless and having no energy so i started car washing as a way of getting out the house basically yeah, I think yeah. we spoke about this before. You need to come over and do my car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. Ashley and I don't live too far away from each other. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I think have that's great because that, that's moving, isn't it? You yeah. know, the, the is, car yeah. detailing, it's, yeah. you know, it, it takes hours of, like, work and, you know, you're on your feet a lot and things. So that, to me, is one of the best ways to move, yeah. it, you know, doing something that you're passionate about and, that doesn't feel like a chore it's like something that yeah. you enjoy and and then by the end of it you're probably just as tired as you would be having like if you've been out for a run or something like that yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah certainly in the beginning um the first couple I was doing for friends and family almost just like as a, a favor I would do like the most basic clean and I'd be wiped out but now I, I yeah. can go and do two three jobs in a day and spend three four hours getting them spotless and you know doing all kinds of treatments to yeah. paint work and all sorts and I don't really get tired anymore but it is just that practice and you know you just got to build up things so you know yeah. it didn't happen overnight it took me eight months to get to where I am I, I started yeah. right towards the end of my chemo because I did start to feel a bit better after I'd been on the chemo for like nine months I'd kind of adjusted and I, I'd learned what helped me so if basically as soon as I felt that it was safe for me to go out on my own and start doing stuff I I was straight on it good for you that's brilliant yeah I I think it's just so amazing that like you've because I found this as well when I finished treatment you're not where you were before like physically are you obviously and the fatigue is really hard but I had to try really hard to sort of remove the ego out of it and just not 
to compare myself to where I was yeah. or what everyone else is doing. Just think, right, this is where I am. Let's take small steps every day. And then, like you say, all of a sudden you're eight months you know, down the line and those small steps all add up to yeah. doing things and going not, back to work. Uh, yeah, I think it's important not, especially when you're on treatment or if you just yeah. had treatment, is not to compare yourself to anyone else or yeah. even yourself. Like you say yeah. previously, it's just compare yourself to how you were yesterday and then if you just build from there you know and just think right okay yesterday I did such and such and I wasn't that tired and today I did it and I wasn't tired at all and yeah you know you build from there I think that's that's certainly a good way to think of things definitely I was I was chatting to you George the other day wasn't I about um like when I first got home from the transplant I would obviously take Willow out because she'd look at me with those big eyes and think I've got to go out and I'd do five minutes and like you say, Ashley and Sophie, like you, your fatigue's just so ridiculous that I'd be wiped out for the day. But I, every day I did a little sort of bit of something, like a little walk every day. And then I, then I built up to do a little bit of running, but a really small amount. Um, and now 10 months like post the transplant, I'm running at 5k under 30 minutes. And oh, like wow. that's, it's just yeah, no, that is serious. That's like athlete <laughs> um, levels. Okay, you are too proud of that. Um, <laughs> it took me ages, but those like little small steps and gradually being patient and not thinking, oh my goodness, I should be here. You know, I've just thought, right, well, I am here. Let's not look at anyone else. Let's just focus on me. And I think, yeah, that's what's obviously. Yeah, I, I think in many ways, cancer and and other you know diagnosis, it can be a blessing really because it is like a reset you know you, you, it doesn't matter what you you could have been the fittest person in the world mm-hmm. I was a pretty healthy person beforehand I, I never felt like I'd struggle at anything physically but I couldn't even lift the kettle up when I was on my treatment like yeah. my partner Hannah she's pretty slim and not very strong in any way I was having to get her to lift things off the shelf for me in the mm. shops and you know people were looking as if to be like god that guy's lazy but I just didn't have the strength you know yeah. to, to even lift slightly heavy things I just had nothing so it, it, having that kind of reset it, it is easier to kind of build up from basically nothing mm. and it, you've just got to celebrate each milestone you know yeah. so some people might go to the gym and run 10k or you know go in the weight room bench 100 kg or whatever it is for me just being able to do like three press-ups I text all my friends and family it's like oh my god you know I've just done three press-ups most people wouldn't even give that thought you know they wouldn't even Mm. mean anything but but to me personally that was a huge accomplishment so I think it is important to kind of celebrate those little victories and and just give yourself little milestones because it's better to set a small milestone hit it and have that kind of you know boost and then that gives you that motivation to set another milestone Mm -hmm. and and you just build yourself up that reminds me i saw this image um and it really helped me get through treatment actually there's um like imagine two ladders and then one of the ladder the rungs are really far apart like big steps and the other one the rungs are really close together and if you're on the ladder with the massive steps and you just, you know, I want to be here and you're really trying to get to that step, but obviously you, you can't because it's too big of a step. Like, you know, you might think, right, I just want to go and run for 10 minutes, but, you know, you can't even walk yet, but you, you just don't want to accept it type thing. You're never going to get on the first rung of the ladder. But if you're on the other rung of the ladder, like you say, Ashley, like just do the little bits, you just do a little bit, little bit, little bit. And then before you know it, you're halfway up the ladder and, you know, you're, you're flying. So it's just yeah. recognising that. It's really interesting how you're talking about the kind of 
physical side of things in terms of the press-ups, the walking, the running, and then how that relates to the mental side of things. So celebrate, you know, I was going to ask what strategies have you learned like personally for yourselves to to kind of support your own mental health during your during before you know during diagnosis during your treatment post your treatment and I think you've already said two which are awesome and that I love celebrating every milestone I think that's such a big yeah. thing every time you know you, for me personally every time I get a personal best in anything I literally go mad <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best thing ever you know yeah. like you said Ashley doing three press-ups and I think people obviously a lot of the time think that as that you shouldn't you know it's not a big deal but it is and so I think that's number one number two what you said Jade I love that about the ladder you know taking Mm. little steps so do you have any other strategies that any of you have found that work uh one for me is I think we touched a little bit upon it is the comparison thing like just not comparing myself to other people like while I was on treatment I completely come off all social media just because when I was on there seeing what everyone else was doing I just couldn't handle it and it just felt so unfair so I completely come off and just focused on where I was and that really helped um not being on social media and comparing I mean it's very easy to compare yourself isn't it and obviously we all fall in that trap sometimes but I really try hard not to and coming off the social media for a while I love that Jade I I, I think that's maybe something that I should have done like maybe like because it is I know what you mean like I used to see like friends going out or things like that and I used to say to like my partner Alex like you know you go out like you know you still do what you can when I was sat at home with like literally no immune system at all so like I just couldn't physically go even if I wanted to physically I couldn't because you know that I just would have it would have been such a risk for me and like I know obviously he and all my friends and stuff didn't mean to upset me but it did upset me if they were like putting pictures on like social media from the nights out and things and like it was never ever malicious or anything from their end but it it did used to upset me because I was like that should be me why why am I the one sat at home feeling so poorly and they're all off enjoying their lives and I think that is one big thing but then I suppose then the opposite to that is that you learn that you know okay yeah everyone else is doing their thing but like I'm still doing mine and what's important in their life might not be important to you but you know for you what's important to you isn't important to them and that's it's like basically distancing yourself from like what you should what people see as normal and now accepting the new normal for you and because there's a lot of things now that so, so because of um that high dosage of steroids that were included in my treatment um I suffered with a condition called avascular necrosis um and that essentially means like bone death um the blood supply to the bones gets cut off and the bones just die and crumble and I had that in my hips so I've now had those replaced but my quality of life prior to that was awful Mm. um and I used to see everyone else sort of like you know walking around normally and I'd be like hobbling along like in so much pain and that used to really mentally get me down and I used to cry yeah. or before having the replacement sort of like the, the months leading up to that I used to cry at least once a day um because just mentally I couldn't yeah. cope with the fact that I was in so much pain and I was just unable to do so much what I should be doing and 
although like my hips have been fixed like thankfully and that's mm-hmm. like such a massive massive life changing yeah. event for me I've still got you know that condition in my shoulders and my elbows and I almost feel like now I've just accepted the new normal yeah. and yeah okay you know I still struggle with pain and there's things that maybe I can't do that with this can but that's fine because that's that's their normal not mine my my yeah. new normal is finding ways to deal with that and finding ways to cope mentally so sometimes if that is just having a big cry and you know saying to Alex like please make me a hot water bottle I've been pain <laughs> but that makes me feel better because I'm like just let it all out get your hot water bottle put it on your yeah. shoulder and that'll make you feel better so it's just accepting like yeah that is part yeah. of my life now but why should that be any different to you know yeah what why should that make me feel rubbish when Absolutely. everyone else who is normal shall yeah. we say has other things that they have to deal with this is just something that I have to deal with um, it's very different to the the normal, but it's the new normal almost. Yeah, I think as well, uh, something that I found helped me a bit certainly mentally was just uh, like almost reward, allowing yourself to reward yourself. Like I always used to feel bad. I mean, I I'm really into my gaming and you know TV and whatnot. Bit of a nerd, so I <laughs> I was fine staying in, but like I I'd feel guilty if all I did was sitting all day playing games watching tv doing nothing and it took me a while to just learn that you know it's that's okay you know I didn't feel mm-hmm. well I was going through a lot and you know people would always say you know I'll just do whatever you want but it took me a long time to just accept that okay I, I'm not well enough I, I can just sit on the sofa all day if I want to um you know and, and, and I used to do a lot of jobs around the house and I couldn't when I was on treatment because I was too poorly um and it took me a while to just get used to having nothing at all to do and I still felt bad about just sitting mm. doing what I enjoyed you know I enjoyed playing on my games all day it was a, a amazing distraction for me and thankfully even though COVID and, and everything was going on so I couldn't see anyone and I was shielding I played games with my friends so I was still doing the same thing I was before my yeah. diagnosis and everything and I was still talking to them so I had that there but I was almost feeling guilty in a way doing mm. that so much because, you know, like they'd go off in the daytime to go to work, you know, or oh, sorry, that's my watch. Um, <laughs> they'd go off in the day and they'd go off and do things and then they'd come back on. But I wouldn't need to go off and do things. Yeah. I was too poorly. And it took me a, a few months really to just enjoy having doing things I enjoyed yeah. and not feeling guilty. Definitely. That sort of, I try now to not use the word should. <laughs> like, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Or maybe I should be doing that. Or, you know, other people are at different points of their life and I should be there too. Like, I would just try to take that out um, of my vocabulary. Because like you say, we're at all different points. And if gaming is what really helped you, helped you escape, yeah. you know, like, that's a, absolutely fine. Yeah, like, I mean, it's great. One thing I struggled with an awful lot was I had to surrender my license because quite often when you have a brain tumor, you are prone to seizures, which thankfully I've never had. Um, But just because it is such a big risk, you have to surrender your license for at least 12 months. Um, I was already not driving as much for my own safety and other people's safety because of my vision, um, because I only got these glasses like about six or seven months into my treatment when I finally got to see the ophthalmologist like a year late but mm. up until then I, I didn't feel that safe driving myself but not being able to drive it, and 
that feeling of uselessness because I had to get anyone to take me everywhere. And obviously when you are on treatment, you're going places a lot, you're going to different hospitals, you're seeing different specialists. So there was a lot of driving involved in my treatment and I couldn't do any of it. And my partner hates driving. Um, and the car we had at the time was my car um, and it had a loud exhaust and she hated driving it. So <laughs> she was miserable because she had to drive. I was miserable because I couldn't drive. Um, and thankfully I have games where I can drive and I have <laughs> racing simulator thing that I can sit on and pretend I'm driving a real car. Um, so I did have that distraction, but I kind of limited the amount of time I'd spend on it because I felt guilty because I couldn't go out and drive in real mm. life and I felt like I was a burden on people um but yeah certainly if I could go back in time I would just say to myself yeah you can't do anything you're too poorly just chill out and enjoy yeah. doing nothing because you know it ain't gonna last forever and now I'm about to have to do all the jobs around the house and <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get any free time anymore yeah join the club yeah that is like my <laughs> weekly task like cleaning the house and it's like ah. <laughs> But yeah, you do. I know what you mean when you said about like your independence is almost taken away from you because like I think driving is like something that's like, you know, it gives you a lot of independence to just freely go wherever you want. And I found that a lot during my cancer treatment that my independence was completely taken away from me. Like I relied on my parents to take me to and like my partner to take me to every appointment. Um, if I needed to go to A&E, like if I spiked temperature or anything, it would be them who would have to come and sit with me. And, and I felt so bad that their lives were, you know, getting so yeah. influenced by what was happening to me. And everywhere I went, I was like, oh no, like someone come with me because you know, what if something happens or yeah. what if I feel poorly when I'm not there. And even up until like before I had my hips replaced, like I, it got to the point where I, I just was so afraid to go out on my own because I was scared mm. of falling because it fell a couple of times, like at home, um, Christmas day, like literally a few Christmases ago, I tried to do too much and tripped and fell. And yeah, that just mm. wasn't great. Awesome. So it's, um, I was just to the point where, yeah, okay, I can drive there, but what, what happens when I get out? What if I'm in the middle of a shop and I fall and everyone's thinking, she's a young girl, why doesn't she just get up off the mm. floor? And being like, no, like, my hips, like, I can't yeah. get up. Yeah. Um, so now, like, having had those replaced, um, I do feel like I've got a lot of independence back yeah. now and it wouldn't bother me to, to go anywhere, like, on my own yeah. now. But that was a very long process to get that independence back. And also yeah. from having, you know, being sort of sheltered a bit when you're on treatment, everyone is around you and, you know, you have that kind of structure to your day in terms of like, you know, maybe it's like hospital Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and all that. So you're yeah. in a kind of bubble and then when you finish your treatment, you are kind of just let out into the big wide world on your own. And it took me a while to get used to that. So yeah. now that I don't go to the hospital, like it's sort of every six months at first I was like work don't like this like there's no yeah. one checking up on me there's no one telling me what to do and then all of a sudden like with time my independence kicked in and I was like no actually I am okay to crack on with things you know I don't need someone telling me like you need to come get your blood stored or anything like that like yeah. just sort of go about your day if you have any issues you know where you know who to call you know like that the hospital staff would be more than happy to you know take a call if you're feeling worried but it, it does take a long time to get your yeah. independence back rebuilding that confidence yeah I, mean, confidence. I, I 
felt very much the same as you in, in terms of I lost my independence. I, I was basically told I couldn't be left alone um, when I was on my treatment. So it wasn't just that I couldn't drive myself anywhere, but I couldn't even be left in the, ho the house on my own. So when Hannah went back to part-time work, my mum had to mm. leave work to come to literally just do nothing but sit with me because the nurses were like, you shouldn't be on your own in case something happens. So when I was then able to drive and I was allowed to go off, I, I almost felt like I shouldn't. Mm. I was like, I, I shouldn't be going out on my own. Mm -hmm. I need to have someone with me. You know, it, it takes a while to build that confidence up again yeah. because you do get used to being in that bubble and you do get used to kind of being told what to do and go here and you need to be here at this time and take this at this time. And when all of that just kind of disappears, even though it's mm. a good thing that you're clear of it and you don't have to do that anymore, it does take a long time to yeah. adjust to it. Um, and I can imagine, you know, if you had six years of treatment, you'd be even more used to it. So to have it then yeah. go again must have, it must have been difficult and challenging um, to, to kind of overcome that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like now, like I am, like obviously I don't want to blame me and Trump, but I am really proud of where I am now. You should like, be. Yeah, yeah I, thank you. You should all I, be. Like I am honestly so proud of myself. And I'm proud of how I dealt with everything. Um, you know, always trying to keep positive and keep hold of the hope that one day I would be in this position, even when literally, like, it was, like, rock bottom where, like, I'd relapsed for the second time. And, yeah. you know, it was like, well, if this car T cell therapy doesn't work, that's kind of, like, it. Like, for me, like, even then I was like, no, there will be a day. There will be a yeah. day when I do get better. And I'm so proud of myself for, for you know, keeping yeah. hold of that hope and, I'm trying to remain as positive as a could, doing things that I knew would help me and also, you know, eventually getting that independence back, getting the confidence back. Um, and I, I'm not ashamed at all. Like, you know, like I think there's like sometimes a taboo, isn't there? Like, oh, you know, you don't just bring up like you've had cancer in a conversation. But if people ask <laughs> me like, oh, what do you do for work? And I say, I work for a charity called Move Charity. I actually benefited from their services because I've I've had leukemia myself or you know things like that or people say yeah. to me like oh have you been to uni like what did you study and I say no unfortunately like I had to abandon my studies due to having like leukemia I don't think there should be any sort of like to be yeah. like you know yeah. and people often say like wow like I didn't expect you to say that like you know because you look so well and things now but you know I do I feel, feel like that was such a prominent part of my life it's it's made me who I am today you know it was six years that I had to live through it why shouldn't I mention it it's the same if someone said well, yeah. you know I got a new job or I've been promoted or whatever like having cancer to me is something that I actually try and like celebrate now because I'm thinking well I did get through it and and this yeah. is the person I am today yeah. um because of it um so yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah be proud well, yeah you need to be proud yeah. Thanks. Like one of the things you said, Sophie, really made me think. You know, you said you sort of told yourself, you know, I am going to get through this, and you know, there is an end. I like tried to use like similar things, like I guess like mantras or I don't know, affirmations or whatever you like to call them. Just to, when you're in a really tough spot, just I kept saying things like that over and over to myself. You know, there is an end. This isn't permanent, and things like that. And then I remember when I had two rounds of chemotherapy to get in remission before my transplant and I had to stay in for a week at a time and I found it incredibly difficult just being in hospital for a week and obviously feeling so gross that 
when after the first time I thought right I know I've got to go back in and I know I'm gonna feel so low at some point so I wrote myself a letter just so I can look like just all these positive things you know like you know you'll be you know you'll get out of this and all sorts of stuff like that really and um, there is an end you know you've got all these dreams and you know all stuff like that really so when I got back in I felt so low I knew I didn't actually read it but I knew I had something there yeah to get me through and I thought oh look past Jade got through it so you know you can do it again type thing um but I think it is reminding yourself isn't it that, you know that things aren't permanent and you know you say you should feel proud of the hard times you've gone through I think interestingly actually because I felt very much the same as you two in, in the sense that I just kept thinking early on in my treatment I kept thinking you know I've got to get through this 12 months of chemo and then I'm I'll be back to normal and I was kind of led to believe by the various doctors and stuff that I would be better. But it was about six months into my chemo, I said, oh, you know, when's my eyesight going to get better? I, I lost hearing on one side. I was like, when's my hearing going to come back? You know, my balance and uh, depth perception, all, all basically any sense is massively affected because of where my tumor is. So I sort of said, you know, oh, you know I'm six months in now. They were positive in terms of my scans so it's like when's stuff gonna start getting better and he basically was like it ain't getting better like this is it you ain't getting any better than this you know our aim is not to fix you is to stop you getting worse that's the aim and that put me at my lowest point mentally because I got home that day from the scan and was like what's the point you know like if I'm not gonna get better why am I even trying you know it it Mm -hmm. took me a long time and, yeah. I, you know, I needed a lot of support from close friends and family because I didn't see the point because I, I thought for so long, get yeah. through this 15-month treatment window and then mm. I'm back to normal. So instead of having similar experiences to you two where you just kept telling yourself it will get better, there mm. is an end, I lost that. So instead, it was yeah. different and I had to just think, okay, well, it, it, let's just try and make sure it doesn't get worse and let's just yeah. make the most of what we have you know like yeah I still fall over I stumble I get funny looks when I'm walking around because people probably just think I'm drunk because I you know you can't see a brain tube every time I pull off yeah. and park in the disabled bay everyone's looking and, and being because you know I, I don't look disabled initially yeah. and you know I've had a few people stare at me and thankfully no one's ever actually said anything to me but it is you know you do have to learn how to just overcome those things yourself Mm. and you know even though there might not be a fix involved there is always a way to just accept and move on you know and instead of thinking oh you know I wish things were better I think okay well things aren't better how can I make it a bit easier or how can I improve and and when I got in touch with Helen and, and the move charity and they she started helping me regain some strength and I improved my balance not because my brain's fixed but I improved my core strength and then as a byproduct of that I have better balance now so there are workarounds and fixes you know and I'm sure other people who might have had similar experiences to me where they thought one thing and then all of a sudden you find out no that's wrong that's not what's going to happen you can't dwell on it too long I think you know I I was only down for a few weeks but even that was silly there was no need to be like that I'm enjoying life more now than I ever have done 
and I'm still living with all these side effects. You know, I just wear glasses all the time to fix my vision. Yeah, it's it's not perfect. Stuff's pretty blurry, but it's not double, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> so I think it's important just to learn that okay, life ain't perfect, but yeah. at least we're still here. You know, I've still got. Oh my, my goodness! Yeah. You know, a lot of people have it a lot worse. You know, and I, speaking to yeah. you guys and hearing how, just how long your treatment was. It, irregardless of how difficult and everything anyone's treatment is mm. you know everyone's going through str- struggles yeah. and you know if you're just waking up every day and going to bed every night happy then that's all you can ask for really yeah. Ashley, I, don't know you... I just want to say exactly why i wanted to have you on the podcast because just that bit <laughs> that you just said then like <sighs> you know should blow me away just the way your positive mental attitude you know you take from going to rock bottom and the way you talk about it now it but, well you, you need fair, to listen to this back and and hear yeah, it's incredible today i started a new position uh, this place i'm working only part-time and i was just chatting to the girl that was showing me what to do and she didn't know anything about me really because you know she was just teaching me so i i mentioned something and then we got talking and i was explaining i said you know I said what I had and she, she I don't think she meant it the way it came out but she was like oh man if that was me I'd have just killed myself oh. and I was like and I, I just laughed it off because yeah, I, I, I know she didn't mean it in that way but then when I mentioned yeah. it to Hannah when I got home she's like what the hell how did she say that how did you let her get away with it and uh, you, you just have to kind of laugh it off and you know yeah completely the best way to deal with things is just to ignore it you know nobody just don't worry about what other people think and just do as long as you're happy in yourself that's all you can do you can only keep yourself happy Mm -hmm. you can't keep everyone else happy so as long as you're happy in yourself that's what you gotta do and it's important that the people around you like you know that they're supportive of what you're doing and you know they're the ones sort of bringing you up and um you know like reinforcing that positivity and things like they they've got your back no matter what you know like they are your support network aren't they and um I often think it it's hard for them like it's harder for them sometimes like especially when you're on treatment and they're watching you and they can see you so poorly and I often think like you know mentally that is extremely difficult for them Mm. I suppose for you going through it like I used to find like I would be the one reassuring them like because yeah. I'd be like no honestly I'm okay and they used to be like you're lying I know you're lying yeah. and I'm like no <laughs> honestly like I feel okay today like honestly I would tell you if I wasn't um but it's just kind of like they get there with you every step of the way and then when you do kind of like you're in that recovery period and they're kind of backing you with like what you want to do and you know if like with you sort of going back to work um actually it's nice that you know like your partner's really supportive of that and you know she's got your back and things like that and I do think like you know that's another huge thing like to help you mentally when you have cancer is a a strong support network and I'm I'm extremely lucky that I had an amazing support network when I was going through treatments I know unfortunately some people don't like you know if some people live alone things like that and or maybe they've like lost family members even in those scenarios there are charities and organizations yeah Yeah. everywhere that can help because you're right you need a support network you you can't do it alone there's simply no way you can get through cancer alone you need other people and the best way to get through any kind of trouble is just to surround yourself by people that can 
reinforce mm. what you're trying to do you know yeah. it doesn't have to be cancer it could be other things you do through life but it is essential to surround yourself with people that yeah. at the very least support and encourage what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve yeah Actually, like my I'm, oh sorry oh no I was gonna say like um my partner was very good at that so like when I was going through treatment um on my good days I was determined to still go out and do things that we used to enjoy like, I say used to enjoy that like we still did enjoy like yeah. when I was so it was like before diagnosis and stuff and we kept doing those things because I was like why do we have to stop if I'm having yeah, a good absolutely. day and if my yeah. blood results are good why have we got to stop doing the things that we love and he was very on board with that and yeah. like if I'd say to him like I want to go for a meal tonight he'd be like yeah absolutely where do you want me to book he wouldn't be like oh no you shouldn't be doing that like yeah. you know like you yeah. might not feel well he was like yeah absolutely let's do it and that helped me a lot mentally because I felt not like I, yeah. I hate the word normal but I felt yeah like me again and I felt yeah. like us and doing the things that we love to do yeah, um, I think quite often people through no fault of their own do over patronize yeah, you when yeah. when they can see you're not well they just want to do as much as possible and yeah. shield you and put yeah. you in a bubble but sometimes it can be kind of damaging when you feel like you're constantly being reminded that okay there is something wrong so sometimes it is nice to have someone like that that'll just if you mm. if you say oh, I want to do this there's no mm, maybe maybe you shouldn't you know you, it is good to forget that you know cancer's around and just move on and just pretend you know it doesn't have to be involved in every aspect of your mm. life it only has to be a tiny portion of your life you know I'm never going to get rid of my brain tumor, but I've spoken to people. I know of people that have had brain tumors for like 40, 50 years. So, you know, why, yeah. why worry about what might happen in five years time when today I'm fine tomorrow, I'm probably going to be fine. I'll probably be fine next week. Why worry about what's going to happen in the future? Yeah. That's one yeah. thing I've really tried to do is just live in the present like you said like what's the point in worry it's, it's hard to do isn't it but I try to yeah. always bring myself back to the present and just think what do I need right now um I don't need to worry about things and I think you know because we've gone through really really, really hard times you then become more grateful for the for the good times and, you know you just appreciate everything so much more it, I think yeah it really recognizing that is important sometimes. yeah I really do believe that that you know when you get a cancer diagnosis no one wants a cancer diagnosis yeah. but there is a way to look at it as a positive thing you know mm. i had the best part of two month two years sorry at home yeah i didn't feel great 90 percent of the time but i was at home all the time with my dogs i know most dog owners would give their right leg to spend two <laughs> years at home with yeah. their dog all the time so yeah all right i have a brain tumor but on the positive side you know i got a blue badge now i get pretty good parking so it's <laughs> always there's always a positive somewhere yeah you know you just gotta got look for it it's nice to yeah, hang on to those memories agree. as well like i i took loads and loads of photos when i was on treatment and i don't mean photos where i'm in a hospital bed like really poorly i mean photos of things that we did and if you look back on those photos of like me and my family or like me and my partner like at, during those times and you would just think we just lived mm. a normal life. You wouldn't have even yeah. thought that cancer was a thing because, like, mm. there's photos of us at events, there's photos of us going for nice meals, like going just on days out, things like that, like going to the zoo, stuff like that. And you would have never ever thought that 
we were going through it because we just chose mm. to live that life and exactly yeah. what you said before Ashley that it, it's only part of your life it's not your whole life so mm. you know you've still got to live you've still got to do the things and I'm really glad that I've got the memories I have and I look at them now and I'm like wow like god I had chemo the week before that photo yeah. was taken and it's just I am really grateful that you know I did have that mm. support there and I did you know and I, that I could I did have sort of that positivity within me to make the most of each moment that I did have good days and stuff because now I've got lovely memories to look back on. Yeah. Yeah. God, listening to the three of you, obviously I can't relate and I can't imagine and I can't, you know, understand at all what it's been like to to go through what the three of you have been through. But I've just been sat here smiling and overwhelmed at the, just the positivity. I just... Ashley as well you know that's what struck me from when we first had that chat with Helen just such a positive mental attitude especially like you said when you had that hope and then actually they said to you and and to go through that mentally you know I think that was probably the biggest turning point for me I I think up until that I was kind of just winging it and I hadn't really given it too much thought but then after being told that that gave me like almost like a real ground zero kind of okay I was I was low for a few weeks and I just thought after after about four or five weeks of being really down and I'd gone on antidepressants and I had a few weeks that I just kind of got to the point where I thought okay well I'm not achieving anything here it, and then I just kind of thought okay well it can't well it could get worse but I, I kind of <laughs> said to myself all right it shouldn't get worse now yeah. so let's just focus on what I can improve and yeah, I can't yeah. get rid of the tumor but what can I do and then that's when I started the that's car washing yeah. and, and getting out and then because I started the car washing I got I spoke to Rachel who was at Click Sergeant yeah. she put me in touch with Helen and then I started with Helen and like at the beginning of that I couldn't even like curl a can of beans you know and, and Helen was so supportive the whole time and she helped me build that mentality of celebrate the little milestones you know and like one mm-hmm. week we might do a bit more than the week before and we were both so happy that I'd progressed and now I'm running 5Ks and you know wow. she's she's still there supporting me and she's still helping me celebrate all the little milestones. That's incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean certainly the, there's so many charities out there to help and, and and all of them just want the same thing. Everyone just wants to help. So we're all blessed that we have our own support networks but I mean you mentioned it so if some people don't and I think it would be important for anyone that was going through similar experiences as we have that doesn't have that same support network we've all spoke about is go and find it you know even if you just ask your nurse at the hospital they will find one for you you know you don't have to go out your way to find it you could just say I'm struggling please can you put me in touch with someone to help and they'll do that you know there's supports Mm -hmm. there there's people there who want to help but, but there's so many people going various cancer diagnoses that they can't get to everyone they can't reach out themselves so sometimes you just have to make that first step and then they'll you know help you the rest of the way yeah that was something I wanted to ask did any of you have any kind of mental well-being support from any other charities or did you just find it within your own support mechanisms um I actually had counseling through just through my local hospital yeah which was really helpful like obviously I, I went similar to you actually when I was halfway through my, my first bit of treatment my it actually was on New Year's Eve and I think it's because it was New Year's Eve and I was having chemotherapy I was like it, I think it just all hit me at once I thought I'm halfway you know I've got another half to go and it's it's a hard um 
it was hard in my head to think how am I going to do all that again and when it got to that point um I did then like go on the list to get a, to see a counsellor and I, I went for you know to cope with the cancer but it turned out that she helped me just in everything like things wow. that you don't realize yeah and I saw her for three years but not not constantly like I sort of went in and out like when I relapsed and stuff um but yeah definitely talking to someone and having that outside perspective and able to you know just to help me process stuff um really helped me yeah I was the same so my local hospital had like um a hematology counselor and she was like she she reminded me of just like a nan like a grandmother like she was just (laughs) and sometimes you need that like that like grandmotherly touch like and she used to do um some like reflexology as well so like on my feet and stuff in some sessions we literally like I wouldn't speak a word and she'd just literally and she'd say to me this is your time this is your time to switch off from everything and just let me you know do the reflexology you've got the nice oils things like that you're getting your feet all like massaged and stuff and I used to literally love them sessions um and then when sometimes like if I was in hospital as an inpatient she'd come and see me and it was just nice to you know have that other person who wasn't like sort of linked to me in a family or a friend way it was just like another person who who I could just put my trust in and really open up to and she even said like if any of your family members if like Alex like one needs any support as well like you know he can come and see me because she understood like for him as a partner like it was really hard as well um, so yeah, she was like, "Tell him to come, you know. I'll I'll do his feet and I'll do oh, your mum's feet, I'll do it. <laughs> which is really nice." Um, so we we just really felt like looked after, um, and we knew who to go to if we needed that support. Mm. Like you know, she she was she was just brilliant. Yeah, I had someone similar. Um, she wasn't rubbing my feet, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the nurse that was like basically like a support nurse while I was on chemo, uh, Pauline. She was amazing in in terms of anything we needed. She just went and did it. When I was applying for the blue badge, she was like, why are you doing that? I think I'd asked her for a signature or something. And she was like, why are you doing that? I'll do that. And then a week later, it turned up on my doorstep and she'd just done it all. Um, And and I had her, similar to what you were just saying, she wasn't a family member. So I knew if I wanted to, I could speak to her. and, And then as well as having her who, was there when I was at a hospital. I spoke a lot with Rachel um, from Click Sergeant, who supported me a lot in many ways throughout the various treatments I had. And she was always there. I mean, I don't think I ever really opened up to it per se, but I knew I could yeah, if I wanted yeah. to. I mean, I, I guess maybe because I'm a guy, it, it's a little different. I know there's a lot of push at the moment for mental health and and to get men talking. Mm. And I do think that is important because yeah, it yeah. wasn't really until I acknowledged that I was depressed and I was struggling that then as things started improving, you know, I, I got antidepressants. I started talking to people and as soon as you start talking and you acknowledge it, you can then start improving on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, having someone like Rachel or Pauline for me, you know, I didn't necessarily make use of having them there, but knowing if I wanted to, I could speak to them. That's personally what got me through it because I I, I, not, I don't really like talking that much about my own personal feelings, but I knew if I wanted to, I had someone there. Mm. Um, 
and I didn't go out my way to get in touch with them. Pauline, I met just through treatment and Rachel reached out to me early on in my treatment. Um, so it wasn't like I'd gone out my way to get in touch with them. They almost found me in a way. Um, so that, that really helped me. Although I never actually used the, that outlet. I knew I had it and that's all I needed personally mm. to get me through. When I had those low days, I knew if I had to, I could go and speak to someone. We, I feel like we could just keep going for ages, hours and hours, but, you know, we'll have to kind of wrap it up. Quick, quickly just want to ask, you know, one or two of you, or all of you can quickly answer. Um, just if, for someone listening, kind of, we touched on this briefly about kind of the future and, and what you feel about thinking, you know, into the future and not thinking too much into the future. But, you know, if, if someone is, is listening now who's kind of, maybe just got a diagnosis or maybe has has just kind of going through treatment and they're trying to think about the future could you give them any advice what would you suggest I would say you know for me uh there was a quote somewhere I read once it was from a book and it was a story of this man who got lost he was through this whole I'll save you the boring bit basically the moral (laughs) of the story was he couldn't see his way out of the forest but he could see the steps in front of him he could see mm. what was in front of him. So he just took that step and eventually he got out of the forest and, nice. you know, the day was saved type thing. Mm. So I guess my advice would be, yeah, at the moment it, it, it will look difficult. I spent the best part of 12 months basically being a couch potato. I couldn't move. I couldn't get dressed myself. couldn't really feed myself. And now I'm doing more than I ever used to. And it's only really been eight. Well, I finished treatment in December. We're now in August, 1st of yeah. August even this January and February was when I started the movie program. Even then I couldn't really do anything. And now six months after that, I'm back to where I was before my diagnosis. And in many ways I'm further on than I ever was. So I thought for a long time I would never improve, but just by doing those little steps and trying Mm -hmm. not to think how the hell am I ever going to get back to this? Or how am I ever going to get past this? Try not to worry about, the overall picture just try and focus on what you can do and and focus on the immediate steps ahead you know if someone's just been diagnosed don't think what am I going to do about work what am I going to do about this what am I going to do this just think okay what am I going to do until I get to my treatment tomorrow you know what can I do to try and support myself you know maybe read a book try and de-stress because one of the things I think can be a really big burden is the stress of everything and that can impact your treatment you know trying to chill out a little bit will just help the whole process you know so mm. just try and take it step by step would be my best advice I just as a follow-on for that from that I think that's pretty much like everything in a nutshell like I think that's amazing what you've just said but I would just say just remember that cancer is only a part of your life it's not your whole life so you know on your good days do things that you enjoy um it doesn't define you as a person it's not your whole personality it's just it's just a little part of your life and unfortunately yeah it's going to be maybe quite bad at times and you know it's it will have a profound impact on your life but it, don't let it consume your life and um, you are still you you're still a person you're not just a number who, or you know you're not just a cancer patient you are a person um, and remember who you are remember you know that who the person your family and your friends love you're still them regardless of whether you've got cancer or not yeah, and yeah. cancer makes you more interesting. 
you know yeah it does it's always a good conversation starter (laughs) having cancer is anything it's cooler than not having cancer so you (laughs) you should be proud and just embrace it you know live with it you know it's not something to be uh, it's not something that should ruin your life it you know yeah it might impact it severely as it has done for all of us but Mm there's always some you know there's always a positive to be found so just find the positive and and run with it basically yeah I completely agree with everything you both said um yeah for me I just think just you know try as as much as you can to live in the present and just start from where you are you know those small steps are so important and I've heard that story too actually I can't remember where it's from but yeah yeah I don't it stayed with me yeah yeah like, even if you can't see where you're going just that first step and just keep going and you know you'll eventually you know you'll you know you'll be somewhere amazing <laughs> um yeah just li- be living in the present that's the main thing for me really focus on where you are uh, yeah and you can do anything really <laughs> love that guys it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so so much for taking the time to join i feel yeah. very privileged to talk to you all wow what a brilliant conversation that was a huge thank you to sophie jade and ashley for taking the time to talk to us i really hope that you'll have come away with kind of an almost a new lease of life or a new way to challenge yourself to live in the moment and really believe in the present and that it is truly a gift um i think the reason I wanted to do this podcast was after I joined Helen and Ashley on the move um, eight week program and Ashley was towards the end of the program and the way he just spoke about his positive outlook on life despite being given you know one of the hardest cards ever he just has such positivity and such a positive mental attitude that I just thought this guy's got to come on the podcast and people have got to listen to him so I really hope you took as much away from it as I did and hope you found it useful um Lucy or Gemma will be back in two weeks time and um you'll have them as as your host again so thank you so much for having me on and for listening and thanks again to Sophie Jade and Ashley and it would be really really helpful if anyone listening could share this podcast with anyone that might find it useful um any family or friends or anyone that you know that's living with or beyond cancer or anyone that's a family member of someone living with cancer or perhaps lost someone with cancer um it's super helpful for us to to share it and get the word out there um any reviews would be lovely and um, any subscribing to the podcast as well would be super helpful. If you are interested in any other work that we do, um, if you haven't heard about 5K Your Way, it's an amazing support group that happens on the last Saturday of the month. Just Google 5K Your Way, Move Against Cancer, and you'll find out all about us. And if you want to know more about the Move Online program, you just Google Move Against Cancer online program as well, and you'll find out loads about that fantastic program that Helen, our awesome um, cancer rehab instructor, runs with our other instructors Beth and Sophie so a little shout out to the team there and um, I hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again in two weeks thank you so much